You are listening to the Actor Aesthetic Podcast, episode 140. From dorm rooms to holding rooms, my transition out of college to the real world. Let's get started. What's up, everyone? My name is Maggie Barra, and welcome to the Actor Aesthetic Podcast, where I take you behind the scenes of the theater industry. The Actor Aesthetic Podcast is produced every single week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at actoraesthetic.com slash podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram at Actor Aesthetic, or join our Facebook group, the Actor Aesthetic Alliance. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get on to the show. We are currently recording live. I mean, the episode's not appearing live, but <laughs> I am live right now on my Instagram and we're having a good time. Yeah. Thank you, Anna, for the title suggestion. I'm really excited to talk about this. This is basically just a very casual conversation about my life thus far, how I made it from being a musical theater BFA performer at Texas State University to New York City and doing the thing. Um, A lot of times when I talk about the transition from college to the real world, I tend to ask all of my podcast episode guests the same question. What was your transition like from college to the quote unquote real world? Because what even is the real world? Everything's the real world. (laughs) I hope you all are following me. What I'm saying is, is that this is a really important to discuss, and I find that it's really helpful to discuss on the podcast because there's so much unknown when it comes to transitioning to the real world. You go to college, hopefully you're going to your dream program after auditioning for a million programs and doing a million songs and dances and monologues. You go to your dream college for four years, then you come out and you think you know everything, you think you're on top of the world, you think you're the most castable human being alive, and then maybe you move to a new city, maybe you stay in the city you were in for a little bit. What happens after college, right? Like, what happens next? Well, there are a couple of paths that you can take. Um, For some people, you go back home, You live with your family, whether that's in New Jersey like me or in Oregon or Pennsylvania or New York or Ohio, I don't know, wherever. And you stay there for a couple of months. Maybe you work a job, like a a side job, side hustle to make some money before you make a move to a big city like New York. Now, for me, what I did, I went to Texas State University I graduated with my BFA in musical theater in 2017. So this was like May of 2017. I did my senior showcase in both Texas and then eventually in New York City after I graduated. I started freelancing with an agent after I graduated. And then about a month, maybe even like a couple of weeks, like maybe one or two weeks after that, I left to do a summer job. So the job that I ended up doing was called The World According to Snoopy. I played Lucy. It was so much 
fun. I mean, I could talk about that for days, but basically I was a part of the production from its earliest stages, right? So they did a workshop production of it back when I was a sophomore in college. And though I wasn't cast at the time, I assisted the director, Caitlin Hopkins, who's the head of our program at Texas State. And then when the school decided to actually mount the production our senior year, I auditioned and got the role of Lucy. And that production actually ended up transferring to Tuts, which is Theater Under the Stars. It's in Houston. That production was done in June, I believe, of 2017. So I did Snoopy my senior year, the spring of my senior year, and then I graduated, did my senior showcase, and then went back to Texas and performed Lucy again at Theater Under the Stars. This was just a few weeks, right? I don't I don't remember the exact dates, but I feel like it was like maybe a month commitment. And um, we rehearsed for a little bit and then we put the show back up. It was 110 degrees every single day in Houston. It was so hot and um, unbearable, but I had such a great time doing that production. Then I came back home. So I'm from New Jersey and I came back home to Central Jersey to be with my family, live with my family, and start hustling, right? I started getting pretty invested in my time with Actor Aesthetics. So I was writing a lot. I was thinking up ideas for different things, but sort of was all over the place with what I wanted to do with Actor Aesthetic. I also decided to start hit the ground running. I went to every single audition I could possibly go to. Do I recommend going to every single audition you can possibly go to? No. It depends on where you're at in your life. So if you are hustling and, you know, working a couple of jobs to support your rent or your family or your career, whatever... I would be really strategic about the auditions you're going to because you you know you only have so much time in the day, you only have so much energy, you want to protect that energy and protect yourself and protect your health. However, at this point, I had nothing to lose, right? I was living with my family, I didn't have to pay rent, thank God. So, you know, I I really felt as though it was my duty to hit the ground running because I wanted to take advantage as much as possible everything that was given to me at that time. And I did not take it for granted. I really, I really was thankful for the opportunity. Um, and side note too, what, what was really cool about this time was, um, my dad was working in the city and he was actually driving in and out of the city every day to work. Like, at six o'clock in the morning. At this time, I was EMC. So if you don't know what EMC is, basically, it's just, um, it means equity membership candidate. And at the time, I was not equity yet. I was not a part of the union. I had done Snoopy um, and a couple of other shows that gave me points to be in the EMC program, but I only had like seven or eight points, right? And at the time you needed like 50 in order to join the union. I was a member of SAG, um, but I didn't really know all the logistics of like how to join the union through SAG, all of that stuff. I was literally clueless, right? I was not yet union. I was not yet a part of Actors' Equity. So I knew 
that in order to get seen at auditions in New York, I had to play the game. I had to get there super early. I had to sign up on unofficial lists. I had to put my headshot in as many baskets as I could just to get seen, just to get my foot in the door. And I did this for months, months. And at the time I was freelancing with my agents, but I, you know, I was still like semi new to the city, right? I grew up in New Jersey and I grew up doing shows in New York and and auditioning in New York. And I had a fantastic agent in the city. But then when I went to Texas State, you know, I had to stop working with them because I wasn't here like physically to audition. So it was tough, right? So when I came back to the city and I finally met with my agents again, um, my new agents after my senior showcase at tech for with Texas State University, I basically had to reestablish myself. Like, you know, I had to make myself known. I had to start building brand new relationships with casting directors and creatives in the city because who was going to know me yet? I was basically brand new again. And so that's what I did. I just went to every audition I could find and some of them were successful. I got a bunch of callbacks. I got some really great feedback. I actually, so here's a funny story. I don't know if I've ever talked about this before on the podcast, but it got to be like September or October of that year. And mind you, I did Snoopy in the summer and it was like September, October, and I was getting tired, right? Because if any of you are non-union or have ever been non-union or EMC, you know that it can be really tiring going to auditions and disheartening going to auditions and not getting seen, like getting there at six o'clock in the morning and then waiting around all day, only at 5.50 to be told, sorry, we're not going to get to you. That sucked. Waiting around all day with the excitement of knowing this audition could change my life or this audition could redirect my career or whatever. And then not getting seen was so frustrating, Um, especially because I came in with this confidence of knowing who I was and knowing what I had to give to the theater industry, knowing my strengths. Still, the aspect of feeling like so much was out of my control That was really challenging for me. And so when I wasn't always getting seen at auditions, especially if I would go like a week without even being seen, right? Like without even getting to sing at an audition, um, it, it took a toll. And so one day I woke up and I was gonna go into the city with my dad and I just was like, I don't know. I don't really feel like going to the, the to the city today. I'm tired and I I don't feel like I'm going to do my best and I don't even know if I'm right for this show. Well, it turned out <laughs> that that audition changed my career. Basically, so it was an audition for Miracle on 34th Street at the Fireside Theater. No, I did not end up doing Miracle on 34th Street. However, Here's why it was a really big deal. So Fireside Theater was doing a production of Miracle on 34th Street. To be honest, I had never even seen the movie. This is how clueless I was, right? So I'd never even seen Miracle on 34th Street. Um, 
I didn't even know who wrote the musical version. I just like went into the audition and I do not recommend doing that. Um, so I got there semi early, right? When we drive into the city from New Jersey, it took us like an hour to get in. So I pretty much got there like seven 30, I think. And I was sitting in the, the hallway because the holding room is super hot and there were like a lot of people in there. So I was like, Oh, screw that. I'm going to go sit outside. I also like struggle with like being in rooms with a lot of people and a lot of energy. So I just sat outside in the hallway with my headphones on and my my book and I was just, you know, minding my own business. And it turned out that the person that was sitting across from me was the director and artistic director of the fireside. Of course, I had no idea. And I don't know, we just started a conversation and we talked about he saw he had like peeked over at my resume and started a conversation about different shows that I did or whatever. I don't even know, but this moment changed my life because normally I'm really closed off at auditions, but I just decided, you know, whatever, like, let's just see where the wind takes us. Talk to people if you want to, if you don't, that's fine. And I was feeling fine that day. So I decided to have a conversation with him. And again, it turned out to be the artistic director of the theater And I learned that day how important it is to be aware of your surroundings at auditions because you never know who's listening. You never know who you're talking to. You never know where this information is going to go. And when he stood up and was like, all right, everyone can sign in. I was like, oh, my gosh. I can't believe I was talking to this guy this whole time. I had no idea. Like, I thought he was auditioning for the theater. I don't know. I was clueless. And this has happened to me a couple times, right? Like, someone will be in the elevator and you have a conversation with them. And then it turns out they're the casting director for the the theater that you're auditioning for. So, (laughs) Ed, right? So, Ed um, went into the audition holding room. And when it was finally my turn to go in and sing... I walk into the audition room and it's Ed, the person that I was just talking to and playing the piano was a man by the name of Richard Carsey. Now, Richard was the conductor on a tour that my sister did. What? And it was called Little House on the Prairie, the musical. He was the conductor for that tour got to know my family, got to know my grandpa really well because my grandpa was on tour with my sister. We were really big fans of this man. We thought he was just the kindest human and really good at what he did. Well, he happened to be playing the piano that day just randomly because, you know, Ed needed someone to play to um, play piano for people at the auditions. That was bizarre, but I'm just thinking, like, had I had not gotten up that day just to go to that audition, my life would have been so different. So I ended up singing Music That Makes Me Dance from Funny Girl because it was, like, one of the only, like, belty um, golden age songs in my book at the time. And I was, like, thinking, I was going back and forth between a legit song or you know, belting my face off. And I just decided to belt my face off because at that point I was just living for doing stuff that I enjoyed. So I sang music that makes me dance. And I'm telling you, it was one of my best auditions ever because of just the beautiful like artistry that Richard brought to the song. 
Um, the fact that I was super comfortable knowing that I had someone in the room that was rooting for me. And I also had just established a, a relationship with the artistic director just from talking to him outside the room. I mean, it was just divine. And so basically what happened was after I got done singing, um, Ed looked at me and said, <laughs> uh, you are too young for the lead in our show. You are too young. He, I, I think he said something like, you're too young to have an eight-year-old kid. Um, and I was like, okay. <laughs> because, again, it's Miracle on 34th Street, and I think the only role I could have like possibly auditioned for was um, the woman in the show, the lead. I don't know. I can't remember the name. Um, and she has a kid. And he was like, however, I would love for you to come in and, and learn the, the understudy material and um, also we're doing, you know, a Phantom and Newsies and Little Mermaid and 42nd Street. And I feel like you're really good for those shows. So we'll keep you in mind. At the time, I was just like, great, let's see what happens. And so I learned the material and I came back. And <laughs> for my for my callback, I didn't know Mind you, I literally had just watched the movie and I tried to find as much information as I could about the musical online as possible. So I learned the material and I barely even got to perform any of it because, you know, he wasn't really seriously considering me for this part. But I think he just wanted to see how I worked and how I learned material and how I regurgitated it and whatever. I only got to do maybe like one or two scenes, like very short, very minimal. However, <laughs> he asked me, you know, I'm really highly considering you for our upcoming production of Phantom. Would you be interested in coming back in for that? And I was like, absolutely. Again, this is the production of Phantom that it's not the Andrew Lloyd Webber uh, production. It's the more Yeston version so it's very, very different than Phantom of the Opera. Again, didn't know anything about Phantom. I was just like, yes, <laughs> sure, <laughs> I'll learn it for you. So I, I went home and then I found out that I booked a cruise contract um, to be a, a singer, a production singer on a cruise. And the money looked really good. The travel looked amazing. It was going to be a very quick turnaround. So I'd have to leave in like the month to start rehearsals. But I knew that I was being considered for this production of Phantom. So I was like, what do I do? <laughs> what do I do? So I waited like a couple of days. I went to callbacks for Phantom. And... Um, and long story short, I decided to do Phantom because I ended up booking Phantom. It was my first equity contract, and that was a huge reason for why I decided to stay. It's funny how things work because sometimes you'll go months, years without booking, and yet sometimes you'll have two, three jobs at the same time, and you have to choose. And that's just the way that things work in this industry um, and it's crazy too, because those choices really do change your life. So I ended up choosing to do Phantom of the Opera instead of this cruise ship. And the reason being, there were a couple of reasons why. 
I really wanted to stay in the States because I had just gotten out of school. I had just started to build relationships with casting directors, and I didn't want to throw that away being away for a year on a ship, a year or longer on a ship. I have nothing against ships, and I have incredible friends who have worked and performed on ships and saved and made a lot of money on ships and traveled the world But at the time, I just wanted to keep continuing to build these relationships with casting directors and creatives in the United States. And one way of doing that was doing another dream of mine, which was to continue working in regional theater. So this job would take me to Wisconsin instead of the Bahamas or Alaska, but and it inevitably wouldn't pay me as much as a cruise contract would, but I would be performing in a regional theater in a book show, meaning a musical, instead of just like singing on a on a cruise, and I would be earning my equity card. And that was so big to me at the time. It was a contract that was given to me, so instead of earning through another union or earning my card through the EMC program, which at the time only had like seven weeks of work under an EMC contract through the Connecticut Repertory Theater, I earned it from this contract. And I learned firsthand what it was like to be treated as an equity member. I was a part of like, I think we had like seven total members in that production of Phantom at the Fireside Theater. The rest were non-union. Actually, they always offer EMC points. So if anything, everyone was an EMC actor at this theater, which was really great. Um, But, you know, I learned what it was like firsthand to be treated as a union member in a show and to feel that protection on a contract. Um, You know, I also was able to go when we were out in Wisconsin, I was able to go to Chicago a lot and audition as a union member. And that was a huge advantage of being a union member was Um, being able to go to auditions and go to them frequently and not have to wait, but in fact sign up to um, audition for things. And I almost booked another job from one of those auditions that I went to. So ultimately, it it was perfect timing. I was in the right place at the right time, and I was hustling my butt off. I got this job, and that took me out to, let's see, I performed this in, I started rehearsals, right before Christmas, and then we started performing in January, and I ended the run late January, I think actually mid-February, and that was my transition from college to the real world. Um, I did not end up moving to New York until 2019, so remember, I graduated in 2017, I did the show, I I did Snoopy, and then I did Phantom, and then I ended up doing I ended up auditioning again and then I was asked back to the Fireside Theater to perform in Little Mermaid over the summer of 2018 I started the podcast in the at the end of 2018 and I went to audition after audition after audition and I was uh you know not seen I was seen I was now an equity member so that was exciting because <laughs> I was able to go to a bunch of auditions in addition to being um represented and having an agent that was getting me in the door 
Um, but other than that, you know, I was auditioning a ton and getting really close to things. I got cl- so close to two different projects, um, but I did not book them. And then I did not move to New York until t- summer of 2019. So it took me two years to actually finally move to New York on my own with, of course, a roommate, um, but not to be with my family. And, you know, overall, I wouldn't have wanted it any other way. I was very thankful to be so close to the city and still get to live with my family during that time and not have to worry so much about about my, um, you know, living paycheck to paycheck or paying for rent or paying for utilities or paying for groceries. You know, I was very lucky to be able to be in the city and also get to commute in and out and still have my freedom outside of the city. I mean, ultimately, it was just so great. It was a really fantastic experience. Also, getting to go in and out of the city with my dad was so special to me, and I'll never forget those that experience. Um, but, you know, everyone has a different story. Um, I have tons of friends who graduate college, and then they go straight to Broadway. <laughs> I have tons of friends who graduate college and don't come to New York City at all. I have a friend who went to New York City and decided it wasn't for them and they moved out to Seattle um, and are very successful out there. Uh, I have friends in Seattle, Chicago, um, DC, Philly, uh, in Florida, who are actively pursuing theater careers and are doing so very successfully and they didn't necessarily need to come to New York to do that. So I need you to know that everyone's path is different. Sometimes it takes you a long time to become a member of the union. Sometimes it's a fluke. Sometimes it's just by chance. Sometimes it takes forever. And, you know, there's just a million different ways to becoming a successful actor in this business. Now, it's been it's been now a couple of years since I've graduated And one thing I've learned is that it's so important to be an advocate for yourself in this business. It is very helpful to have an an agent or a manager, if you have one, to represent you and to get your foot in the door. But that can't be the end-all be-all because they can only do so much for you. If they're only making 10% of your income in shows, then... In reality, they really should only be doing 10% of the work. You have to be doing the other 90. So you have to be out there taking class. You have to be out there making connections. You have to be out there sending in your headshot and resume. Um, depending on your relationship with your agent, you know, have this conversation with them beforehand. But you should be sending yourself out on these auditions as well, going to EPAs and ECCs and open calls and submitting yourself on Actors Access or backstage or actors equity just doing everything you possibly can to put your best foot forward there's so much that we can't control in this business but the one thing we can control is our attitude you can't rely on an agent to do that work for you always you have to advocate for yourself remember that if i leave one piece of advice with you today it's that because that's what brings you success. That is what is going to bring you joy at the end of the day. That is what's going to help you sleep at night, knowing that you have done everything you possibly could to achieve everything you can in this industry. So with that, 
That is my story. I thank each and every one of you for tuning in. If you haven't already, please be sure to leave a rating or a review of the podcast. It helps me so much continue to create content for you and bring on fabulous Broadway stars and casting directors and agents who can lend their wisdom your way. So I hope you enjoyed my story. I hope you are safe and well during this time. It takes a village. I'll see y'all next week. Thank you.